0: Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen most. If you're looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning again, everybody. My name is Colton Tatham, and I'm Journey's uh, West Campus pastor. If you're new today or if you're listening online, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, In this sermon, we're going to be continuing our All In series about our biblical call to be the church. Uh, Last week, we unpacked Journey Bible Church's mission and vision out of Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Pastor Mike also commissioned us as the West Campus to go all in to reach the west side of Aletha. so if you missed that service, be sure to watch it online sometime this week. Now, last week we reviewed our mission statement, which is, we are journeying together, passionately following Jesus, and our vision statement, which is that we are a movement of Christ followers changing our community and the world. Our mission and vision both flow from Jesus' unordinary, yet extraordinary, and revolutionary call to follow me. The mission reminds us God's calling and our responsibility of the church. The vision reminds us of God's work and our hope as the church. Together, the two help steer Journey Bible Church to hear God's Word and do God's Word so that through us, God would produce more passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're an all-in Christian, then you probably have a desire to see the church grow. And if you're an all-in Christian, then you probably have a desire to see more people passionately following Jesus. However, what we learn from 1 Corinthians 3 is that Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. Again, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. Christians and churches may work towards God's mission and vision, but it is ultimately God who gives the growth. We're reminded of this all throughout the Bible. Uh, God's Word is full of illustrations, stories, and metaphors for growing and harvesting fruit and grain. And they teach us that our success um, as a mission or our success in our vision, those things, our success ultimately depends on God. Now, my grandma was a gardener, and she grew all sorts of fruits and vegetables And uh, her farm. Uh, Following in the legacy she left, my parents and my sister have both started their own gardens as well. Um, Up on the screen are some cute pictures of Riley and Cora, and they're exploring the pumpkin patch at my parents' house. Uh, Yesterday, uh, I showed my daughters these two pictures, and I asked Riley and Cora each to tell me how pumpkins grow. I asked them, how do pumpkins grow? My three-year-old confidently told me, you go to Halloween. That's how pumpkins grow, you go to Halloween. And my one-year-old responded in snarky silence as she just stared at the picture and just ate her cracker, pretending to ignore me. They were both super helpful. Let's say instead of asking a preschooler or a toddler, though, if I were to ask maybe a biologist or a botanist to tell me how pumpkins grow, they might tell me how the scientific process of photosynthesis works. They might describe how pumpkin vines uh, convert water, air, nutrients, and sunlight into pumpkins. But if I were to ask a farmer or a gardener to tell me how pumpkins grow, they're probably more likely to tell me how to actually grow pumpkins. A good farmer might explain when to plant, where to plant, how to water. They might then go on to tell me how to defend the garden from pests and weeds, as well as when to fertilize and prune the vine to get the biggest pumpkins. When growing anything, there are many things that are beyond our control. Weather, droughts, invasive bugs, disease. Even so, there are patterns that good farmers and gardeners observe and learn over time through trial and error. These patterns they observe then form principles that they can teach to others. When we come to 1 Corinthians 3, 5-9, through 9, like a good farmer, God's Word describes some patterns and some principles for the church's growth. Follow along again as I read this passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-9. through 9. What then is Apollos? you are God's field, God's building. So, how does God cause growth? Well, from 1 Corinthians 3, we learn a simple twofold pattern. First, we learn there is a part that only God can do. And second, we learn there is a part that God gives us to do. The Apostle Paul is the one writing here in these verses. Paul calls the church he's writing to God's field and God's building, while Paul refers to himself and Apollos as fellow workers, servants, and laborers of God. 1 Corinthians 3 is telling us that for the field or the building to grow, for the church to grow, the reality is that growth ultimately comes from God. No matter how hard laborers such as Paul and Apollos may try, the harvest from the field or the splendor of the building, the growth of the church ultimately rests in God's hands. However, the second part of the pattern shows us that God chooses not to work alone. God delights in giving, a part in growing, giving us a part in growing the church too. You see, unless God's servants plant the seeds, there will never be an opportunity for those seeds to grow. Unless God's laborers go out and water the seeds, there will never be an opportunity for those seeds to grow. In other words, the work of Christians like Paul and Apollos shows us that God really does want us involved in the growth of the church. Now, our work isn't growth itself. Again, our work isn't growth itself. Rather, our work is to prepare the way for growth from God and to nourish the growth that God gives. For example, planting is preparatory and pioneering work. Planting is going out and starting something new. Watering, on the other hand, is a nourishing work watering is finding something that's already started and coming alongside to make it healthier. For growth to happen, both are needed. Some of you here are called to be pioneers for the West Campus. You're going to connect with new people. You're gonna get new people connected to the church. You're gonna find new partners in the community. Some of you may even start new journey groups. Others of you are called to be nourishers for the West Campus. You're gonna mentor new believers. You're gonna come alongside existing volunteers, and you're going to support new work as it begins to grow. One is not better than the other, because God uses both the preparatory and the nourishing work to cause growth. In either case, though, we all have a responsibility to participate in the work that God has called us to do. Now this brings us to the principle 1 Corinthians 3 teaches. Obedience to God leads to growth from God. Again, obedience to God leads to growth from God. Paul cannot get the glory for the growth of the church. Apollos cannot get the glory for the growth of the church. They are simply fellow workers obeying what God, their master, has called them to do in the first place. No one but God should get glory for the growth of the church. Now imagine that there's a wise farmer. There's a wise farmer and he's teaching a group of people, all people who have never planted a garden before, how to start a garden. It stands to reason that if you obey the farmer and listen closely, then your garden will see growth. But if you disobey the farmer, and you instead reinterpret his instructions as suggestions, then your garden will probably end up in disaster. Like a wise farmer, God has given us his word in the Bible to teach unbelievers how to believe Unchurched, how to start churches Sinners, how to overcome temptation And fishermen, how to fish for men Here at Journey Bible Church, we have ten values These ten biblical values describe what it looks like to answer and to obey Jesus' call to follow me They summarize how we obey the Great Commission to make disciples, and they describe how we journey together passionately following Jesus. These 10 values are all actionable. God's Word calls us to work so that God can produce spiritual growth in our own personal lives, but also bring spiritual transformation to our church, our community, and the world. As Christians, I believe all of us want to see God do great things. I don't think there's anybody here who's a believer that doesn't want to see God do great things. But often, we aren't willing to obey God in the simple things. These ten values form many of the simple things the Bible calls us to do and we should strive to be all in to do them so that we might see God then do greater and mightier works through us. So in the coming weeks in this series, we're going to tackle two of these values each Sunday. And for this sermon, the two values that we're going to look at are related to God's Word and God's Spirit. And so our first value is this, We are anchored in God's Word. Again, we are anchored in God's Word. Um, Surprise, that's that anchor there on the bulletin cover. Yeah, that's the sermon illustration. Yeah, we are anchored in God's Word. As our name might imply, Journey Bible Church is a Bible church. And as a Bible church, we believe the Bible is our source of truth and unfolds for us God's will and ways. In the same way that 1 Corinthians 3 establishes a pattern and a principle for the way God causes churches to grow, we see patterns and principles associated with each of our 10 values. When it comes to being anchored in God's Word, the biblical pattern that we see is that God is revelatory. Uh, That means that God reveals himself. He reveals his will, and he reveals his ways in the Bible. This is the pattern that we see, but the principle that his word teaches is that when we follow what God reveals, then we experience unity with God and we bear fruit for his glory. Now if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and take a look at John 15:8 through 13. Again, that's is John 15:8 through 13. It'll also be up on the screen and you can follow along as I read. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Three times in these verses, Jesus uses the word abide to describe how we are called to relate to God. Now, the word abide connotates a sense of ongoing dependency, reliance, unity. The word isn't super common today, but it perfectly describes the kind of relationship that God wants with his people. But if you're like me, then sometimes pictures can be a little bit more helpful. So another way to think about uh, what it means to abide is to visualize an anchor. Uh, This huge golden anchor up on the screen belongs to a U.S. Navy Nimitz-class aircraft carrier. Uh, Just one of these golden anchors is taller than several men and weighs 60,000 pounds. Uh, The Nimitz-class aircraft carriers are loaded with two of them. Over 1,000 feet of massive chains tethers each anchor to the ship. Whether that aircraft carrier faces hurricane force winds, huge waves, fierce storms, or strong ocean currents, these anchors can keep the aircraft carrier and all of its crew safe from harm. To abide in God and to abide in Jesus' love is to be anchored in him. Abiding is like being anchored to God in the same way an aircraft carrier is tethered to an immovable 60,000-pound anchor. This means that when storms and strong currents come, nothing will capsize you and nothing will cause you to drift away because you are anchored to the Almighty God himself. Again, our first value here at Journey Bible Church is that we would be anchored in God's Word. And with this said, I think there's four takeaways I want us to glean from John 15 about this value. First, be anchored by obeying God's word. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. When Jesus says, keep my commandments. He's saying we need to actively obey and do what he commands. And in this verse, Jesus correlates obeying his word as the way in which we abide in his love. This means if you have no desire to obey the word, then you cannot expect to remain anchored to God when the storms and trials come into your life. Second, be anchored by loving God's word. In verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If you're a follower of Jesus, then Jesus' commandments are God's word. And if you do not grow to love the commands of Jesus and God's word, then you'll never develop the heart to put them into action with genuine love and joy. This means that you cannot passionately follow Jesus if you're not first passionate for God's word. Third, be anchored by remaining in God's word. Jesus says to his followers in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, the key word there is prove. Proving that you're a genuine follower of Jesus is something that requires time, patience, discipline, and testing. The true strength of an anchor is proven when it holds the ship steady again and again during the harshest storms. And this means that if you want to follow Jesus, you not only have to be willing to suffer for his sake, but you have to be willing to remain loyal and devoted, and steadfast to his word, even when it's tempting to abandon it. Finally, fourth, to be anchored, be anchored by finding joy in God's word. Verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, again, God's word, his word, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, another way of phrasing this might be to say, I have given you my word so that my joy would fill you completely. I have given you my word so that my joy would fill you completely. Now, it is pretty amazing to think that the Son of God wants our personal joy to be the experience of his infinite joy. There are many who try to paint the path of following Jesus as the most joyless, boring pursuit you could possibly consider. You know, Christians are often portrayed as boring, joyless buzzkills who live uncomfortable lives full of -of out-of-touch rules and regulations and restrictions. Unfortunately, when we as believers act in a way that is cold or bitter or cynical towards the world, we only validate this joyless caricature that many people believe. But God's word far surpasses any other source of joy in this world. In God's word are promises for life instructions for victory, hope for sorrow, and a guide for purpose. So if you're anchored in God's word, then let Jesus's joy become your joy because you possess a treasure from heaven itself. So what does it look like to be anchored in God's word? What does it mean if you're all in for the Bible? Well, from Jesus' words in John 15, we learn that we can be anchored in God's word by obeying his word, loving his word, remaining in his word, and finding joy in his word. Like an anchor on a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier, a follower of Jesus who obeys, who loves, who remains, and who delights in God's word is not only going to abide in God's love, but they're going to be impossible to capsize. Now at the end of last week's sermon, I alluded to James 1.22 which says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. The reason this warning is so important is that it protects Christ followers from something that I like to call the Siri syndrome. Now what is Siri syndrome? The Siri syndrome is knowing everything. It's knowing everything and yet being able to do nothing with it. You see, the program Siri on your smartphone can tell you the weather forecast, tell you the driving conditions to work, tell you how many steps you took in a day. Siri can tell you who Jesus is. She can tell you how many books are in the Bible. She can tell you what Christians believe. Siri can even search the correct answer for this week's Bible trivia question. I know, I tried it last night. And yet, I've never heard of a story of Siri ever leading anyone to faith in Christ. Just like a parrot, Siri can repeat God's Word, and she can recite Jesus' commands, but Siri is a program Siri cannot obey God's Word or put it into action. There are many Christians who become afflicted by Siri syndrome. They, too, are like programs that know all the right answers but struggle to do what God calls them to do. Now, whether you're feeling symptomatic or you've lost some of your passion for God's Word or maybe you've just never opened the Bible before, Here are three ways that you can put God's Word into action this week. First, commit to a plan. Second, cultivate a desire. Third, challenge yourself to practice. If you long to see more obedience to the Bible, more love for the Bible, more steadfastness in the Bible, and more joy in the Bible so that you can be anchored in God's Word, it's not just going to come to you overnight. Commit to a plan. Cultivate a desire, challenge yourself to practice. Proverbs 16:3 says, "Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. If you struggle to read God's Word regularly, then you need a plan. If you've never read the whole Bible before, then you need a plan. If you've never read a single book of the Bible before, then you need a plan. Now if you don't have a plan, There's no reason to be ashamed or feel guilty about that, especially if your ultimate desire is to become anchored in God's word. Now not all plans are for everybody. So if you're looking for a reading plan to help you read and understand and grow in your knowledge of God's word, email me, talk to me after the service and I'll recommend a few that can help you best. Now it's important to recognize though That cultivating a desire for the Word is not something that's typically instantaneous. One way to increase your desire for God's Word is simply to spend more time in it and less time in other things. For example... Just five minutes less of watching entertainment, surfing the internet, and even sleeping, and five minutes more of focused reading from the Bible every day will increase your desire for the truth. And as you increase your desire for the truth, so will God increase your desire to practice the truth. Lastly, it's important we remember that the Bible is not a descriptive text. It's an instructive text from God. God's Word calls us to obey it, and God's Word calls us to put it into action. This means that you must challenge yourself to practice the truth if you want to be transformed by God's truth. If God's word is challenging you to watch a sin in your life or to serve in a new capacity or to give more with joy or to tell the good news to someone, then challenge yourself to do it. Don't wait and don't turn around like Jonah, like Peter, like Andrew, like James and John. Drop everything you have so that you can immediately do what God is calling you to do. Now, there's a whole lot more that could be said about what it looks like for us to be anchored in God's Word, but I want to spend some time unpacking our second value as well this morning. So let's take a look at that. That's Our second value is that we are empowered by God's Spirit. Again, we are empowered by God's Spirit. Some refer to the book of Acts as the acts of the Holy Spirit, and they do so because of the numerous ways that God's Spirit guides and helps the church to grow. Here at Journey Bible Church, we believe that the Holy Spirit enables, enlightens, and guides us. When it comes to being empowered by God's Spirit, the Bible gives us a pattern and a principle. Again, the pattern that we see in the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is always at work. The God's Spirit is at work to help us follow Jesus. God's Spirit is at work to convict the world of sin. And God's Spirit is at work to guide believers into doing God's will. This is the pattern. The principle this teaches is that God is always with us. God is with us because His Spirit leads us when we're lost. His spirit enables us to resist temptation, and his spirit enlightens us to receive his saving grace, grace, and his spirit guides us to practice the truth. God's spirit is in us, and we have a powerful ally because of this. So let's take a look at Romans 8:12 through 17. Again, that's Romans 8:12 through 17. This is Paul writing and he says, "So then, brothers, we are debtors" The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, Romans 8 is a rich text packed with truth. Uh, So we're not going to unpack everything there is uh, in here. But like we did with John 15, we're going to look at a couple of takeaways. We're going to look at three takeaways that Romans 8 teaches us about being empowered by God's Spirit. First off, God's Spirit has empowered us with warrior power, holy warrior power. Verses 12 to 15 describe a kind of spiritual battle. Within us, there is an impulse to live according to the flesh. That is to say, an impulse to indulge worldly desires. If it feels good in the moment, if it satisfies me for an instant, that kind of impulse. But as Christians, Jesus has set us free from our slavery to sin. We have been freed from the domination of instant gratification. There is instead a new power within our hearts that comes from God's Spirit. It is holy warrior power to put the old desires of our flesh to death, and it is holy warrior power to strive to honor Jesus as commander and king. Second, God's Spirit has empowered us with royal power. Verse 15 tells us we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Verse 16 tells us that we've become true children of God. Verse 17 tells us that we're now fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. What this royal power means is that we will no longer inherit the disaster that this world is heading towards. Rather, God's Spirit has already given us the right to become full members of the heavenly royal family. Now, I doubt any of us Americans here uh, would be considered royal blood. Um, If someone here is in line to become king or queen, that's awesome. Let us know. Um, God be with you. Uh, But through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has bestowed upon each and every single one of us a royal inheritance from heaven. And with that inheritance comes a royal power and a royal position. God views Christ followers as princes and princesses. The royal post that we have been appointed to in this world is that of an ambassador. So don't get entangled with your earthly citizenship or the powers of the kingdoms of this world, because your spirit has been imbued with glorious royal power that comes from God. And your royal post is to represent Him on earth as He is in heaven. Third, God's Spirit has empowered us with resurrection power. Verse 17 says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Death is a powerful enemy, but it is an enemy that cannot withstand the resurrection power of God's spirit within us. To be glorified with Jesus is to be raised to new life with Jesus. However, the path to eternal life is not free from suffering. Our physical bodies are stained by the presence of sin. Our psyches are warped by the power of sin. For all of this to be undone, we must one day taste death just as Jesus did. Our redeemed spirits must be set free from our unredeemable mortal frame. But the good news for those of us who follow Christ is that death is not the end, but the beginning. We do not have to live in fear because God's Spirit has empowered us with resurrection power. While in this world, we can carry out the will of God to tell others about the good news of Jesus and invite others to receive the power of God's Spirit too. To be empowered by God's Spirit means that you recognize that you've been given holy warrior power, you've been given royal heir power, and you've been given resurrection power to carry out God's will. So if God is for us, who can be against us? The other day, I ran a search online for the world's most powerful inventions, and uh, you know, top three results that came up were the Large Hadron Collider, uh, the U.S. Navy's decommissioned railgun, and Lockheed Martin's Athena laser. I don't know if those are actually the three. Those are just the three that came up. Uh, the images on the screen are of the Athena laser successfully shooting down an unmanned drone aircraft. Uh, using super-focused beams of heat and light, The Athena laser can cause small vehicles and aircraft and yes, probably people to burst into flames in an instant. The US military is now set to equip more and more naval vessels, ground transports and aircraft with laser technology like this and every day the world takes one step closer to becoming more like Star Wars. Even in light of the world's most powerful inventions, We have to recognize that none of them have the power to bring the dead back to life. Not a single one of them do. And many of them have more potential power to destroy than to create. We have to remember that this is the way of the world, but this isn't the way of God's Spirit. There's a popular Christian speaker and writer named Francis Chan. And a while back, he wrote a short book called Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. In the book, he writes this, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. If you want to experience a Spirit-empowered life, it's only possible if you first anchor yourself in God's Word. Otherwise, you're gonna confuse the guidance of the Holy Spirit with your own conscience and your own inner monologue. But if you do consider yourself someone, a follower who is anchored in God's Word, then you'll probably realize that many of the works Jesus calls his disciples to do are absolutely impossible. It's impossible to walk on water. It's impossible to cast out a demon. It's impossible to be born again and it's impossible to bring the dead to life. And yet, Jesus calls his followers to do impossible things to help save souls and to change the world for God's glory. Like Francis Chan says, We cannot do these impossible things in our own power. We have to be empowered by God's Spirit. And for each one of us, this means that we're called to live our lives in such a way that our lives cannot be explained without the Holy Spirit, and our lives cannot be explained by our own power. If you want to start living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you'll need the faith to obey some of Jesus' impossible commands. You'll need the fearlessness that only comes from God's Spirit to preach the gospel to a stranger, to build relationships with the unreached and the unchurched, to invite wayward friends and neighbors to come and see, come and hear the good news at church. Again, if you want to live a life empowered by God's Spirit, you've got to be willing to do uncomfortable things that require you to trust God more than you trust yourself. As Romans 8.17 said, you've got to be willing to suffer for Christ if you truly want to be glorified with Christ. Now, I hope that today reviewing these two values has been helpful. Journey Bible Church wants to be a church in this community where all-in believers are anchored in God's Word and empowered by God's Spirit. As we prepare to launch this new campus on the west side of Aletha, we're going to need pioneers and nourishers. We're going to need scaffolding to build the team, and we're going to need believers stepping out in faith. And we're going to need living and breathing people that don't even really know what they're doing. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about what it looks like to get involved, you can always talk to me or email me this week as we start this new endeavor. But as we close this message, I do want to leave you with this illustration: Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill. Uh, yes, they're playing this afternoon. So, um, but not at noon. So that means you can't miss the lunch. So. Now, the way that God invites us to carry out the work of the kingdom of heaven is a lot like the relationship between the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback and wide receiver. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes and coach Andy Reid do most of the play calling for the Chiefs. But that doesn't mean that the rest of the offensive team just stands still. Wide receivers like Tyreek Hill have to fight to get in position to catch the ball. Tyreek Hill may know the play, but if he doesn't work to get open, then Mahomes is going to find someone else to throw to, or he's just going to run the football in himself. The reason why the Chiefs offense can be so fun to watch in football is that you have a talented quarterback with talented receivers fighting to get open. Even when the team gets down, they're not out. They keep fighting until the end. As we carry out God's mission and vision for Journey Bible Church, don't be content to stand on the sidelines. Don't be content to be the team's water boy. God is calling the church to go all in. So that means it's time for us to get off the bench. It's time for us to shake off a few tackles. And it's time that our church starts playing offense to bring revival to our community for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for calling us to advance your kingdom God, we pray that you would continue to anchor us in your word. And God, we pray that you would continue to empower us by your spirit. Lord, we long to see you do a mighty work on the west side of Aletha, But Lord, we acknowledge that it first starts with us obeying the simple commands of your son. God, some may plant, some may water, but you, Lord, give growth. God, help us to follow Jesus with the kind of all-in faith that causes others to see the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. In our weakness, give us the power of a holy warrior to overcome temptation. Cultivate in our hearts a love for your word, and God, challenge our conscience to do your word. Let the efforts of our labor lead many to faith in Christ. And let the efforts of our labor be all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, all God's people said, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.